Well, I'm glad you're with us uh, today. Uh, uh, I want to start the seventh imperative today. This seventh imperative is one of my life verses. It always has been. I remember learning this, uh, this verse, these two verses as a young child. Around quiet time of the family, dad always, we always memorize scriptures of family and the, the hundreds of scriptures that I learned as a child have carried with me. And it's been uh, certainly instrumental in God working in my heart. But uh, it's first Peter chapter five, uh, verse uh, six and seven. And I want us to do a couple of things this week. I want us to memorize this verse and I'm going to help you memorize it. Uh, as we go through the verse today, we're just going to do this verse today, but this is going to be the seventh imper- foundational imperative of the book of Peter. And in many ways, this seventh imperative is the most important imperative because this imperative is the attitude of us as believers, and it's a work of the Holy Spirit within each one of us. Uh, the seventh imperative is the mindset that we should have. It's, it's going to be the attitude of our mind. It's going to be the attitude of our heart. This is going to be our emotions. It's going to have to be the attitude of our will. It's going to be the attitude of our ambitions. It's going to be the attitude of our preferences to one another as we love one another. It's going to be the, the attitude of our complete dependence upon him. And this attitude, if you don't get anything out of today, and I hope you do, written to a persecuted and an oppressed people, uh, this attitude is going to be the attitude that governs our obedience to him. It governs our obedience to him through the trials in blessed hope, of the revealing of Christ. We've been talking about this process of obedience through trials, and we've been discussing the process of his character building within us through the trials. But this this seventh imperative is going to be the attitude that we should have. It's going to be the, the attitude that governs our obedience to him through the trials in blessed hope, of the revealing of Christ. One of the uh, primary themes uh, uh, of this book has been affliction, but one of the other themes has been the revealing of Christ. Many verses in this book have, have referenced the revealing of Christ. And uh, as we look at our attitudes in this last chapter, I just want us to keep in mind how prevalent this theme is of the revealing of Christ and the expectations that we as his people should have as we anticipate uh, his calling us up to meet him in the air, in the clouds. Uh, but let's look at chapter 5, uh, verse uh, 1, as we look at uh, Peter's uh, last admonition in this book, in this chapter. We see this theme of the revealing of Christ, and it's, sometimes it's implied, sometimes it's very, very obvious. But look at 5.1. The elders who are among you, I exhort... I'm a fellow elder and I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ and I am a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. So we see this one verse uh, talking about the blessed hope of the revealing of Christ. One day the glory will be revealed 
and we will see him as he really is. And faith will give way to sight and we will see him. Uh, so we see that. Look at verse four, same chapter five. We see, and when the chief shepherd appears, there's another verse that's going to give us a, a picture of the blessed hope of the revealing of Christ. And it says, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. And we'll look at that in great detail next week. Uh, verse six is going to be part of, uh, uh, of the text today, the last part of verse 6, that he may exalt you in due season, in due time. This is going to be uh, partially fulfilled in, in, in the day in which we live, but it will be ultimately fulfilled uh, in due season when we are glorified and we rule and reign with him and we're in glory with him forever. So that's another verse. And then in verse 10, uh, it, it tells us, chapter 5, May the God of all peace, who called you to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while. So uh, after we suffer, he's going to call us into glory in Christ Jesus. So all these verses are going to picture and are going to point us to uh, an attitude of, of humility as we anticipate uh, our coming exaltation and our, and our, and our, and, and we anticipate our reward. Uh, so we, so we're going to look at this. Uh, the attitude of chapters of imperative seven is prevalent in the first imperative. Uh, let me look, uh, remind you of the first imperative. Look at 113. The attitude of humility, which we're going to talk about is going to be prevalent in the first imperative where it told us in verse 13 that we're to gird up the loins of our mind and rest our hope fully. So we're to do that in a patient, confident, humble hope, and we are to tie up all the loose ends of our thinking as we go through these trials, as these are preparatory for glory. So we see the attitude of humility in the first imperative. We see the attitude of humility in the second imperative. Look at 2-1 as we sort of go over this real quickly. The second imperative is 2-1, to lay aside all malice and hypocrisy and deceit and evil speaking and desire the pure milk of the word. We're to humble ourselves Desire God's word and where to lay aside uh, the flesh, the tendencies of the flesh, uh, the actions and attitudes of the flesh in a spirit of humility. Uh, uh, attitude number uh, number seven applies to the third imperative, which is 213, which we remember we discussed in great detail about uh, submission to the governing authorities, and we talked about the attitude of humility as we mutually submit to government, to each other, to the roles of man, of man and, and woman in marriage, and how we assimilate into this world of spirit of humility. We saw it in the mind of Christ in, uh, in, uh, in imperative number four. That would be chapter four, verse one. Uh, therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself with the same mind of Christ. And we will talk about the mind of Christ as we look at the example of humility uh, from Philippians as we get into it today. Uh, it's the, the attitude of humility is in the fifth imperative. 
and that would be in four seven that we went over, and that would be keep on committing, uh, making a deposit of good works because these good works do not fade away, and we are doing it to our Creator, the Faithful One. And so we talked about that. It's it's important. Uh, uh, and also in the sixth imperative is we keep committing our souls uh, to Him. And then I, I skipped one, four, seven, uh, would be the fifth imperative, and that would be that we we remember the end of all things is at hand, and we're to be serious and watchful in our prayers. All of these are to be done in a spirit of humility. So let's memorize this verse. First Peter chapter 5, 6, and 7. Repeat after me. Humble yourselves. Humble yourselves. Under the mighty hand of God. I don't hear anybody. Humble yourselves. Humble yourselves. Humble yourselves. Under the mighty hand of God. That he may exalt you. That he may exalt you. In due season. In due season. Casting all your cares upon him. Casting all your cares upon him. For he careth for you. For he cares for you. I promise you, you will not benefit yourself any better if you don't memorize this verse this week. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due season, casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you. So think about that this verse this week. Meditate on that verse this week. Now let's look at the phrase, humble yourselves. We need to understand what it means to be humble, what humility means. Uh, we're going to define it from the Greek word, uh, but we're going to define it, define it from, define it from scripture. And then ultimately we want to define it from the life of Christ himself, who is the ultimate example of someone who humbled himself. Uh, so we see humility defined. The Greek word is, uh, um, Tapenu, T-A-P-E-I-N-O-O with a accent mark over the two O's. It's a verb. It's an action word. And it means to lower yourself. It means to abase yourself. It means to realize your need. It needs to be brought low because of your need. As you realize you can't, and he must. It means to be modest in the in your opinion of yourself. Uh, Paul said not to think more highly of yourself. It's the opposite of pride to be humble. It's uh, it means to be dependent upon God and not yourself. So the word uh, tapenu, a Greek word, uh, it means uh, to. Have the right attitude about yourself in comparison to God. We're not comparing ourselves to others, which is going to give us a sense of false humility. But it is it is being under subjection to God in his word, uh, understanding what he says about us and realizing that we cannot and he can. Uh, and so we're going to look at some things. First of all, it's a learned behavior. Uh, it is not natural to us as human beings to be humble, and it is a work of the Holy Spirit. His Spirit 
as he works in us through trials, as we learn obedience, his spirit creates humility in us as we understand that in his in our weaknesses, he is made strong. Uh, as we learn that we must trust him in all things and lean not on our own understanding in all our ways, we have to acknowledge him. It's a, it's a, as, when, as the Holy Spirit works in us in this progress of sanctification through this process, he works in us and creates in us this awareness and attitude of our heart that it's all about God, and it's not about me. And so that's what humility is. It's a learned behavior. It's very similar to learned behavior of contentment. You know, Paul said, I've learned to be content. And so learning to be humble uh, as God puts you through various trials and troubles, as he develops character within you, is a learned behavior, and it is not a... It is not natural to us as human beings. We all have a high opinion of ourselves in our flesh, and we think of ourselves as uh, whatever you think of yourself, but it's the spirit that must work this process of humility in us, and he does. Uh, humility is freeing. Uh, I can't express this enough to you as God works humility in you, how freeing it is to realize that God is sovereign and you're not. Uh, he's in control uh, and we cannot do for ourselves. It's a t Humility is a total renunciation of, of uh, independence and a proclamation of total dependence. And it's and uh, and those of you who have been seasoned by grace in this process understand how God has taken you from independence to total dependence. And it's sometimes painful. It is always through trials and troubles. But he desires us to come to him as little children, completely trusting in him, totally dependent upon him for every good and perfect gift. So it's learned it's freeing. Uh, many of us in this group have lost family members. And, and I don't have to tell you how painful that is every day as we mourn for our children, grandchildren, uh, sisters, brothers, uh, everyone that we mourn for. And, and, and the great pressure it puts on our hearts and our minds but once you come to the grips with the fact that salvation is of the Lord, that his arm is not short and that he can't save and that he will save whom he'll save. And we are to pray in faith. But uh, it's freeing to understand that that is something that we cannot control. And uh, just one example of the myriad of things that uh, understanding humility well will free us from from providing for our families. It'll free us from the worry of and the anxiety of politics and what's going on in the world and the chaos we may think is going on. It's, it's totally understanding that he knows the end from the beginning and he is working all these things according to the good pleasure of his will and we can trust him and rest in him. So uh, it's freeing. Humility is God glorifying. Uh, God glorifying. Uh, 
when we are humble, we know that we are glorifying God. Remember what John the baptizer said in uh, John 3.30, when his disciples were worried that he was losing uh, attendance, uh, he was losing fellowship, and more people were following Christ. You know what he said? He must increase and I must decrease. That is humility. When we understand it's all about him, it's not about how big my church is, it's not about how big my Sunday school, it's about him being glorified, and we let him take care of the numbers and the results. We're just to be faithful. So uh, being humble is is God-glorifying. Uh, being humble is Christ-honoring. Uh, I think Paul said it well when he said in Galatians 6.14, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of Jesus Christ. And uh, continue with that quote. That's uh, Galatians 6.14. In Galatians 2.20, he said, I'm crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live, but the life that I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. So these are just Christ glorifying when we understand in an attitude of mind and heart as the Holy Spirit works that in us, that it's all about him. I am totally dependent upon him. We trust him that all things will work together for my good. Uh, and we just trust him. Uh, it's Christ honoring. And the great component of humility is waiting. I have found that waiting is one of the great components of humility. As he teaches us, as we wait on him, uh, uh, as Francis is struggling with their attitude about waiting to get better and to be healed, that is part of the process, even in Fran's life where she is teaching, uh, he is teaching her dependence and trust and waiting on him. Uh, and so this, we all are seasoned and schooled by this. Uh, Russell and Sally would tell you that God is still working on their humility as they wait on him. And, uh, we all have that, uh, these truths in our lives. So, Uh, Anybody have any questions about humility as we define it by the Greek word, as we define it by uh, what it does in our lives? Any comments or questions? Uh, Feel free to unmute yourself, and then we'll look at some verses that are going to support this. Humble yourselves implies that if you do not do it, God will. And God knows how to humble us. Uh, He can humble us in a myriad of ways through chastening, through physical infirmities, through life situations, and he does. But uh, he calls us not to be passive in this, but to be actively pursuant of an attitude of humility. So he says, humble yourselves. Now look at some verses. Uh, And I want to invite you this week with with memorizing this scripture, to get a good concordance and look up the word humility, humbled, humbly, and just look at the literal tens of uh, 20, 30, 40 verses that all will help us understand what humility is. I just want to go over a few of them. Uh, These are some of my favorite verses. Uh, One of my favorite verses is and always has been Isaiah 57, 15. 
Uh, let's look at the Old Testament as we look at verses that are going to support what humility is. They're going to mm-hmm. help us understand the definition of it. Isaiah 57:15. Uh, many of you know this verse because I heard you quote it. 57:15. Thus says the High and the Lofty One, who inhabits eternity, whose name is Holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with who? With him who has a contrite and a humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble, to revive the heart of the contrite one. For I will not always contend forever, nor will I always be angry, for the spirit would fail before me in the souls which I have made. So God promises that as he is holy and he dwells in the holy place, he transcends time in his creation, yet he is immediate. That's a theological word which means he is near and present. So God promises to be near and present to those who are contrite in spirit and humble in heart. Great verse. Uh, let's stay in Isaiah uh, while we're here to make it easy on us. Isaiah chapter 2. These verses that support the importance of the attitude of humility. Isaiah uh, chapter 2, look at verse 10 through 12. This is God's reaction to pride and his love for humility. Isaiah 2, 10 through 12, and then verse 17. Enter into the rock and hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty. The lofty looks of man... The pride of men shall be humbled. The haughtiness of men shall be bowed down. And the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. For the day of the Lord of hosts shall come upon everything proud and lofty, upon everything lifted up, and it shall be brought down. Verse 17, the loftiness of man shall be bowed down, and the haughtiness of men shall be brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day, but the idols he shall utterly abolish. We see God's hatred of pride. The word haughty means literally in the Greek to look down your nose at someone. So when it says that pride cometh before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall, that means that you, when you are proud, the implication of that uh, of pride in a and it always is synonymous with pride is that you look down your nose at other people. Uh, so that's what it literally means to be haughty spirited. You look down your nose at other people. Look at Isaiah five. Look at verse fifteen. Isaiah five fifteen. People shall be brought down. Each man shall be humbled. So you humble yourselves, or he's going to do it. Uh, but the Lord of hosts shall be exalted in judgments, and God who is holy shall be exalted in righteousness. And so we see uh, this verse. Look at verse 21. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Just a picture of how God hates pride and how he loves humility. Uh, look at Micah 6.18, another verse I know you're familiar with. What does man require? What does God require of you, O man? Uh, you want to know what God's will is for your life? Look at Micah 6.8. Micah 6.8. 
He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God in an attitude of dependence and not independence, submitting to his authority and his will uh, under his direction. The verse that I quoted uh, when I prayed this morning, a verse that we're familiar with, one of the prerequisites to repentance uh, and genuine sorrow is a, is a, is a humbling of the heart and the mind. Uh, Second Chronicles 714, a verse all of you know, uh, and it tells us Second Chronicles, uh, 714, uh, I went to the wrong book. And the scripture tells us, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, I'll hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sin and heal their land. So we are called to be humble. Many verses, I'm not going to read them for time's sake, but if you want to write these down, Proverbs 16, 18, and 19, Psalm 9, 12, Psalm 10, 12, and 17, Psalm 34, 2, and 18, Psalm 51, 17, David confesses his sin, and then Psalm 69, the great messianic psalm, uh, you can find that in 69, 29 through 33, just for time's sake. God loves humility. So do a word study on that, if you will. Now in the old, in the New Testament, uh, very pervasive. Uh, look back at James uh, chapter four. Uh, go a couple of books back. James uh, chapter four, uh, as we look at this uh, doctrine, these verses, this teaching on humility. James 4, verse 6, 7, and 10. 4, 6. God gives grace. That's the work of the Spirit in us. He says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And then verse 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. So, we see verses on humility in the old and new. Uh, for time's sake, I'm going to let you write down uh, Colossians 3.12. I'm going to let you write down Luke 14.7-11. As Jesus talks about when you enter into a wedding or a place, you sit in the back. Uh, and then if they're going to move you to the front, let them do it. So you won't be, uh, won't be arrogant and you will be, won't be humbled. But that's just the principle of humility. Uh, you put others before yourself. You preference others. Uh, and you let others exalt you. You let others do that, but not you yourselves. And then lastly, uh, couldn't do it, do a, a quick, a study on humility without the example of Christ. And we all know the great uh, kenosis of Christ who voluntarily laid aside uh, his glory to come to earth. He was equal with God, but he came as a servant. He came as a slave and he humbled himself to the death of the cross. So you know that verse. It's in Philippians uh, chapter 2, uh, verses 5 through 11. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this verse. Uh, but we see some of these, uh, some of the definition of humility 
uh, in Christ uh, as he voluntarily uh, comes to save his people. We see that in Philippians chapter 2. You'll turn with me there. Uh, just look at some uh, some of the phrases that define humility. Look at verse uh, uh, chapter 2. Uh, you can you can go all the way up to verse one. Uh, it's a fellowship of the spirit to have an attitude of humility. Remember, I said that it's a work of the spirit. There's a commonness that we all have if God's spirit is working in us to create humility. So just as Christ was humble and He fellowshiped, of course, in the spirit, so we too. I have this commonness with Christ in the Godhead uh, when we are humbled by the Spirit, and so we have a commonality. Look at verse two of chapter two. Uh, we see that uh, that we that it is to be humble is to be like-minded with Christ and to have the same mindset, the same thinking. Uh, Jesus always says, "I can do nothing." And I don't say anything that didn't, that wasn't given to me by the Father and my works that I do are all about glorifying the Father. So we always see that Jesus as the second person of the Trinity was humble and he always, uh, confessed dependence on the Father and his purpose was to glorify the Father. And in that obedience, he himself, uh, will be exalted as you'll look at that. Uh, we see that, uh, look at verse, uh, uh, three, chapter two. Uh, another, uh, definition of humility is, uh, selflessness. And it's not a, we do not have a selfish ambition. Uh, look at verse three. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let it esteem others better than ourselves. That's what it means to be humble, to not to be ambitious for our own desires, but to esteem others better than ourselves. Uh, humility is obedience. Uh, look at verse 5. Uh, Verse 8, chapter 2, verse 8, being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. So, so humility always has with it the connotation of obedience. Uh, it's becoming a slave. It's, it's giving up your rights. It's a voluntary, uh, work which we voluntarily give up our rights and our ambitions to him. And so we see uh, verses that support humility. As we get into this uh, scripture, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. That word humble yourselves is in the aorist imperative. That simply means that it calls for immediate action. Peter is in this context as he is encouraging the people who are suffering through the trials, through martyrdom and suffering and being insulted for Christ. He's telling them the immediate solution. And this is where we would think this is uh, counterintuitive perhaps to the flesh. But Peter says, humble yourselves now. Do it now. It's, it's, it's in your best interest 
to completely denounce your own independence and announce your dependence upon Christ because he's the one that's going to get you through the trials as you obey him. But it's in the aorist imperative. It's immediate action. And it's not a passive record. It's not passive. And it's not a forced humiliation. Okay, I guess I'll, you know, that attitude of, of, uh, okay, I, you, you're right. You win. It's, it's a voluntary accepting, acceptance of the, uh, that befell the readers during Peter's day. So they voluntarily accept that the circumstances that are befalling them come from the permissive will of God. So they voluntarily accept it and they, they immediately react to it and they accept it as a, as a work of God in their hearts. And so they, uh, and so they do humble themselves and we're to do the same thing. Uh, now the phrase under the mighty hand of God. Uh, I love what Hebert says. He says God's dealings are not malignant. They're not capricious. They're not arbitrary, but they're all purposeful. Nothing is fate in our lives, brothers. Nothing occurs without the will of God. Nothing uh, uh, is allowed to happen to us. God didn't put his stamp of approval on it because he is working in us, his process. So it, it says he is dealing with us because he loves us. He deals with us as his beloved children. We are to humble ourselves, as, as Hebert continues to say, as part of the program of discipline, purification, and training of family members. In this attitude of humility, I love this, he says, fosters calming and inspiring assurance. The attitude that God loves us and that it's his part of his program to discipline us and conform us to the image of his son should foster in you and me a attitude of calmness, and it should inspire assurance in each of us that no enemy will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ. So camp on that this week as you memorize this, as you memorize this verse that we are under God's mighty hand. Nothing can separate us. It's his purpose. It's how he disciplines us. It's how he cleanses us. It's how he trains us as his family members. And I pray that this would foster in me and in you a calming and inspiring assurance as we go through this week and in the difficult weeks to come. Now, why are we humbled under the mighty hand of God as with Christ? One day, that phrase, that he may exalt you in due season, very key that we understand this. The humility must occur before or in order that God will one day exalt us. That word exalt means lift us up. 
It means he will one day elevate our position. Now, do you know what that means? Just as he did with Christ. Remember in Philippians uh, chapter 2, we didn't get the, but look at verse, uh, uh, the climax of the, of the humility section is in verse 10. That at the name, uh, it's in verse actually nine. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, those in heaven and those on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So just as Jesus was humbled himself voluntarily, it is because of that obedience that God the Father is going to lift him up and elevate his position and give him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus is Lord and that we are going to bow before him and confess him. Uh, the apostles said that. Remember in Acts uh, chapter 5, Acts chapter 5, uh, the conclusion of one of Peter's uh, sermons after Ananias and Sapphira have lied to the Spirit and are killed. Uh, look at what uh, Peter says in Acts 5.31. Uh, uh, actually, go to verse 29. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God other than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has what? Exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. So also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So we see that after the humiliation always comes the exaltation. As with Christ, so will be with us. So we see this phrase that he may exalt you in due time. Personalize that. One day the Father, because of his grace and because of the work of Christ, he will lift you up and elevate your position after he humbles us. And he, as Hebert says, he is going to enable, this enables God to fulfill his promises of future exaltation uh, throughout the scripture. Humble yourself, you'll be exalted. It's always first humility, and then it's exaltation. So as we humble ourselves, God promises that we will be elevating position. And what is that elevation of position? It is it is partially fulfilled on this world. It will fully be fulfilled in the millennium, and it will be fully fulfilled in eternity. And what is the ultimate exaltation that we as his children will experience? Think about that. What is the ultimate lifted up to a higher position going to be? What is our reward Risen with Christ. Risen with Christ. Scripture tells us that we're going to rule and reign with Christ. 
Uh, scripture tells us that we're going to be like Christ. We are going to be in the presence of Christ. We're going to be given more completely the mind of Christ. We're going to see it by sight and not by faith. In the ages to come, Christ is going to show us his grace. God is going to show us his grace in Christ Jesus. All this is the, is this ultimate elevation of position that we as his people are promised. It's the glorification of our bodies and all the reward promised obedience and faithfulness and enduring. All will be ours one day when the realization that we are joint heirs with Christ and that we are ambassadors. All of these promises will ultimately be fulfilled in us through Christ who loved us. Everybody understand that? We humble ourselves now under his mighty hand in order that he will elevate us in position in a future time, in due time, in God's time. Not an arbitrary time, uh, but a time determined by him. Uh, Hebert says, Peter clearly ex- accepted the exaltation of the man in Christ as the work of God. And it's always subject to God's timing and not ours. And what this does, friends, as we think on this fact that we will be exalted in due time, it gives us assurance. It consoles us. Uh, and it enriches our present ministry. What does that mean? Not only does it console us and give it, how does the fact that he will exalt us in due time, how does that enrich our current ministry to other people? You ever thought about that? How does this truth enrich our present ministry as we serve together? We don't see our effects of ministry now as we will in his presence. Amen. We don't see it now, but we will see it. We will see as he rolls back our life before us, however we do it. He's going to show us the pieces of how this work, as we're obedient to him, as he's ordained that we do this specific thing for his glory, he's going to show us how that a work of obedience affected that and how he allowed it in his flow of, of, uh, of, uh, of life and how he brings all these things for his glory. We're going to see, I believe, how he worked in our lives through our obedience to him. And he's going to show us, and we're to be encouraged by that, that, that nothing we do in motivation that is in love for one another and love for Christ, nothing that we do is, is for naught. Any, any positive God-glorifying comment we make to each other, any encouragement we give to one another, any phone call, any text, any email, anything we do to encourage a brother or a sister uh, in faith, none of that is for naught. It is all seen, and it will be realized, and it that should encourage you 
as you get frustrated, as it wears us out, as it becomes burdensome at times. Uh, Sally once sent me a quote from D.L. Moody, where to be, we can get tired in the work, but not tired of the work. And so we understand that that the ministry is God's purpose and it will be effective eventually and it's never for naught. Okay. So be encouraged by that. Uh, and so in due time, so it says, uh, so in due season, we will, uh, will be exalted. That in due time means partially fulfilled now, fully fulfilled when Christ returns. Okay. And so we understand that. And uh, so that is the scripture. And guess what? I didn't get time to finish. It's 10 o'clock. Shocking. <laughs> For a thought this week, you have, you have two pieces of homework. Memorize this verse. I'm going to make every one of you quote this to me in church next week. No, I'm just kidding. But just memorize this scripture. And I want you to think about casting a fishing lure. This, when we get into the word casting all your cares upon him, that word means like you're throwing a fishing lure into the water. You cast it. You throw it away. You hand it over to him. You make a decisive, energetic act, and you cast your cares upon him. We'll finish this great verse up, and then we are going to spend one week on resisting the devil, and we're going to talk about that. And we're going to see the autobiographical nature of that as Peter remembers that Satan wanted to sift him as wheat and that Jesus prayed for him. And he said, after you've repented, you're going to be a mighty servant for me. So we're going to see what it means to resist the devil. And we're going to see all of the tendencies of the devil as we humbly walk before God uh, in this thing we call life. Uh, thank you guys. That went by too fast. I, I'd hoped I would finish that, but, uh, I didn't. But, uh, next week we'll meet in person. Uh, you will be given information and I look forward to it next week. Any comments or questions? Very good. Very good. Yes. Thank you. Well, I look forward to, uh, being in person. It's, uh, not nearly as effective via Zoom, I don't think, but uh, hey, if it encourages you, uh, read the scripture, memorize, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in due season. Cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. And we'll, we'll finish that up next week. Uh, let me pray. Father, thank you that you care about me that you care about everybody on this Zoom chat, that you care about everybody in our church. Help us to cast our cares upon you. And remember what your word says, that in everything, by prayer and petition, and not to be anxious over anything, everything, anything. Let's remember that as we cast our cares upon you. There's nothing too insignificant to you it doesn't have to do with us because you love us. Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us to be humble people. Help us to voluntarily lay aside all independence that we think we may have and be totally dependent upon you. Trust you. We thank you for the promises that one day 
You're going to exalt us to an elevated position. We look forward to our future glories in Christ. This is just a down payment, this life. Help us to remember we're just passing through. Encourage us in your faith as we see the day approaching. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.